0: Yeah, before we bring in Mike Farron of the MLB Network, it's time to remind you guys that the 12 o'clock hour of the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show is sponsored by Colleg Racing. Colleg Racing, the official NASCAR team of Northeast Ohio. And with that, what's up, Mike? What's going on, gentlemen? How are you? Mike, how are you doing? Let me tell you something. I am
1: so snobby when it comes to baseball. I think I know everything about baseball. Mike (laughs) Farron, I've said this to him before, this is 100% (laughs) accurate. I've never met a man that knows. I've actually never met Mike in person. We've talked on the phone. We've, we've texted. Uh, but he knows more about baseball than anybody I've ever met, including most former uh, players. But certainly amongst non-players, he knows every player in the minors. He knows every player in the majors. He has got it locked out. His
2: show with Jim Duquette is awesome. I listen be- all the time. Before you answer this, yeah. I need to ask this really quick question. Yeah. We just talked about what goes on in the NBA <laughs> on off-road games, right? My, oh, Miami. baseball too. Now, baseball. Who is partying? Who parties more during the season? Baseball players or NBA players, in your a humble <laughs> opinion?
3: Well, I mean, it used to be baseball players, but I don't think the kids are wired today the same way that – the players we grew up watching were i mean if they're partying they're doing it outside of the view of um yeah outside of the view of uh people who might have cameras and whatnot so if they're partying it's mostly in their hotel rooms but i think there's a lot more uh time spent playing video games at this point than there is going out and and spending it on the clubs but like if you hear the stories from a generation ago of players i mean they had what twice as many nights uh, on the road as NBA players did and mm. ten times as many as NFL players did, so there was a lot more room to get into trouble.
1: It's funny. I was When I was working in the minor leagues doing play-by-play, I would have to – we had a, a, our manager for the Batavia Muckdogs was a guy <laughs> named – well, my first year there, my first – it's a great team, right? It's the Phillies organization. My first year there in 99, the manager was Greg Legg. Remember Greg Legg, Mike? Yeah. And then the second two years was a guy named Frank Klebe who never – he was not a player. He was actually an amateur boxer. Uh, Part of my job, part of my job working for the team, even though I was the play-by-play guy, was after at home games, we didn't do play-by-play. I only did did road games because the owner of the team was a genius. He thought if you did play-by-play for the home games, nobody would come to the game, which was stupid, but whatever. So my job for home games, I would do like on-field promotions – and, you know, PR stuff. And then my job was to bring two cases of beer to Frank be <laughs> in the locker room because nobody drinks beer like baseball players, Mike. Is that, is that not correct? <laughs> Especially managers? I mean, that
3: is, that is true. That has been historically the case and nobody can put it away in... Uh, it, listen, they do a really good job of hiding it too, I would say. Like, um, having been on team charter buses, like, there's almost always a beverage... Um, in somebody's hand. So, I mean, listen, you got to wind down after three and a half hours, right? But yeah, um, baseball managers, without a doubt, have a long history of being able to um, being able to uh, finish off a twelve pack in record. Time. That's right.
1: Now, Mike, you say three and a half hours, but now, gotcha. hopefully, gotcha. games will not be as long, right? So far in spring training, the average game through this time last year is down twenty five minutes. I believe. I th- I thought I believe I saw yesterday. Correct. What is what is your take on this, and do you think the the change with the clock uh, and the other rules, but especially the clock, will will dramatically change the time once we get to the regular season, or will it be not as big a, a gap?
3: Well, I mean, I think I think it better. I mean, you know, what I mean, like I think that's one of the things that they're fighting is that the games have been have have crept up in time over the last forty years. I mean, they have something like eight thousand games of data. Uh, on this um, to look at through the minor leagues and they saw a significant reduction more than 25 minutes um, a- in you know the cases of the extreme pitch clock last year now there's a I think what a couple extra seconds this year for major league players and I don't know that it's it's necessarily going to be quite to the same level it is right now in terms of um, how many, you know, how short the games are. I think once the pitchers figure out that they have, you know, the 20 seconds is actually a fairly long time with men on base. I think you'll see them start to use it a little better. But listen, the, the time of games has been a huge issue. And I think it's, it's um, you know, it, it, it gets exacerbated in the postseason when you hear people complain about how late the games start because kids can't stay up to the end. If they're playing two-hour and 40-minute games, it makes a big difference on whether or not you can let your kids stay up to the end of the game. I think it's over the case in the course of the regular season, right? It makes it more likely for you to be able to stay, to watch the end of the game if you go and attend it. So I think it's trending in the right direction. My hope is that it stays pretty similar and that we end up, you know, seeing at least a median time in the 240s, um, because I think it would be a huge boost for the game. And, And listen, I think they're looking at this from the standpoint of, not just the in stadium experience being better if folks can be there to the end of games, but like the only thing that people watch live on television anymore is sports. Right. That's and it. so if you can find a way to fit into television windows better, there's a chance to make more money. Um, you know, whether it's via streaming outlets or via, you know, more traditional broadcast, I think all of those things are important for the future there. Mike, when you look at
2: the, the older the changes, like I, I haven't seen any as much changes to the core part of the game ever. Like, you know, in in the NFL, usually they roll these things out very quickly. Uh, Excuse me, roll them out slowly over time. So people can adjust to them. But they've changed a lot of things from the shift to the base sizes uh, to the clock. What ways do you believe that teams are going to try to make this a competitive advantage? Mm -hmm. Do you think teams are going to put their their roster or personnel or any sort of extra strategy into making this like something that they do? Well, like maybe stealing bases or, or being very aggressive on the base pass?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think I think the aggressive on the base pass is something that's worth watching, right? Because there's a limit now on the number of uh, pickoffs that teams have right. to, right? So th- I think that's another that's another big part of, of this, and this is something we saw in the minor leagues that it increased um, that it increased um, the the amount of stolen base attempts, and even early in spring training, we've seen nearly one more attempt per game, you know. But the last three years, we've seen the highest success rate in stolen base att- on stolen bases in major league history. We just have seen fewer attempts than ever before. So I think there's a hope that that will change. As to what it means, I mean, for defense, I think you're seeing teams. Start to value athleticism a little bit more at second base than they have over the last you know six or seven years where they've been able to position that guy in, in shallow right and basically treat him like a, uh, a third baseman, uh, kind of an old school third baseman with a lack of range. I think you'll see some of that change. I'm still skeptical that the shift rules are going to have that much impact on the pace of play or on the quality of play, because I just don't think we saw that big an impact in the minor leagues. But we'll see what happens. The bigger bases, I mean, it's a safety thing as much as anything. Maybe it makes a bang-bang play, go to the runner a little bit more. Certainly the stolen base success rate has been higher in spring training this year than it was last year by by almost 10%. I mean, it went from 72% to like 82% so far. But it's also spring training, so I would take that with a heaping grain of salt. So um, they would like the game to look more like it did in the 80s, I think, which is, you know, lots of, of – Um, You know, super athletic players that are able to take advantage of uh, speed and, and, you know, doubles and triples is what their market research shows. The league's market research shows what fans want. I always worry about one part of this, which is that everybody wants baseball to look like it did when they were 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. Right. Like that's nostalgic for it. And shoehorning too much of that in can be a problem. And I'm guilty of it, too. I mean, I'm a child of the 80s. That's my favorite style of play. Mm -hmm. But I do worry that we spend too much time trying to to retrofit the game to what we wanted it to be or what we remember it to be versus what it actually is or needs to be going forward. And so I'm, I'm hoping that there's a happy medium there with it where we see an increase in those athletic plays, but that it isn't at the that we just don't try and force the issue too much so that it takes away what with some of the things that that are really special in the game now, which is the power uh, for both pitchers and hitters. Mike, you
2: was talking about how in spring training, you know, the stolen bases has gone up and you take that with a grain of salt. What is something that a casual fan can look at that can translate to, that's in spring training, that translates to the regular <laughs> season? Absolutely
3: nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's... I mean like I think that's that's, like I play this game every spring I get excited oh this guy's having an awesome spring hey let's do this and you know what it means absolutely nothing I I mean just nothing nothing results wise now I think the time of game stuff I think that might actually translate I think there's some correlation there Um, I think you'll see that have an impact so I'm that I'm less that would be the one thing from a casual fan but in terms of the way the game is played or the way results are or the way the ball is flying out of the ballpark or not flying out of the ballpark. I mean, th- like there's literally nothing to be gained for fans from a statistical advantage other than hey baseball's back and it's cold a lot of places and it, lo- it and it feels like spring is coming. If you get to see players playing in warm weather
4: Hey, Mike baseball baseball has a problem as far as it alerts uh, alliance with being relevant to the today's market. Basketball's has, mm-hmm. has done a great job. Football's done a great job with aligning uh, the sport with the fans. Baseball has been slow to the table, slow to the table, getting games out to the, to the natural public so they can uh, hone in on people. Not like the times when, when it was really locked in, I would say in my last times when, when Sosa and Bonds and McGuire right. and that group, mm. then people were paying attention. How is baseball going to correct it? Because I don't think the, the, the making the bases larger, shortening the game is going to do a little bit, but there's got to be that connectivity between fans current fans and today's game today's media market were with the with the current way the game was being played. How did how are they going to address
3: that? Well, I mean, think about that time that you're talking about too. I mean, what was it that ended up leading to that? Right? I mean, we ended up with with a decade long steroid scandal in baseball that at least was somewhat responsible for that resurgence. Um, I think there's a lot of different ways to potentially go about it because I agree with you. I think it's you know, baseball's popularity is waning a little bit. It is, it is certainly an older audience. Uh, let's put it that way. That the that, that whatever over the last twenty years, whenever they've done um, studies on whose audience is the oldest, baseball's has been older by a wide margin, and certainly the the demographic that. Um, The age demographic that MLB searches for is what the NBA has, right? They want younger fans. That's more buying power. It's more long-term fans. It's more lifelong. So I think part of it is the gameplay. I do think the shorter games is going to make it more likely that casual fans will be uh, interested in more games than they have been. You know, in postseason, maybe you see them getting into five, six games a year, something like that. That's not insignificant. I think one of the challenges in marketing the sport is that baseball has become very regionalized. Um, and I think the other thing is that there's just not a whole lot of free time for players to be able to do things like commercials, right? Like if you're playing 162 games in 187 games uh, days, when's the downtime? You know, four of those off days are at the all-star break, right? So, so I think there's challenges in trying to get those stars out there, but I, I think you know, they kind of lucked into the home run race and that it was something that happened. And I realized this this is a double edged sword, but it happened organically and that the home runs being hit were incredible, even if the the, the, the players weren't organic. In yeah, that right, sense. Right, right. But, but I think that there's I think, you know, I think one of the things that they will try and do is try and showcase the crazy athleticism and the crazy power of the game. And and I think you're starting to see that a little bit on social media, um, you know, over the last five or six years, as you you know, if you follow like the pitching ninja and you see the nasty pitches, I think those are things that can get people excited in bits, I think making it more accessible. And I think, and this is kind of a longer term thing and it has to deal with with something that, you know, three of the four major sports are dealing with and the regional sports networks demise is getting rid of the blackouts which is something that has yeah, yes, probably yeah. happened within the next couple yeah. of years the commissioner has been pretty consistent in the last year and a half really since before the lockout was done That the number one priority for major league baseball is reach they need to get the game into right. more people hands. they need to get it on devices the younger fans are watching it so i think all of those things it's not a great answer i know but i mean that's that's kind of where they're working at and they're trying to you know they're trying to see if they can Try enough different things that one of them catches hold, and people can get excited about the game.
4: Because you, you have to. Uh, one of the problems I see is just this: you have to connect the fans with the players and the faces. It, like the NBA, you know who the faces are. So when they come on a commercial, it's easy for a marketer to go to use mm-hmm. yeah. NBA player because you're going to know the face of Draymond Green. You're going to know even Dylan Brooks. you to know the, you're going to know what those faces look like. The baseball guys, you don't know what they look like. They could be out right. of the club above me. I wouldn't even know what they look like. Except for Aaron Judge.
3: You right, know what he looks right. like. You know yeah. Judge, yeah, yeah. but I mean, th- you, you can't name. a casual fan yeah. especially doesn't know, yes. Yeah, I think it's totally fair. I mean, I think, yeah. I think you know, the biggest stars you're going to be able to recognize, like everybody knows who Shohei Otani is, right? Yeah, like sure. that's, that's And that's I think that's good that you have a player like that. But, like, you know, I love Mike Trout. Mike Trout's arguably the greatest player in the last 50 years, and he's going to go down as one of the all-time greats. But I'm not sure that anybody could pick him out of a lineup. He's Mm-mm. just, like, he's not wired that way, right? Like, he's yeah. not this huge, engaging personality. And I think the other thing, and you hit on something there that, that I'm wondering the changes in television do this, is that, you know, the NBA is kind of a national game, right? Like, yeah. everybody's, I mean, the 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 podcast conversation between Brooks and Draymond last night. Oh, that was unbelievable. Was like, that, it was hilarious, but it was That's, happening in a national television right. game, right? Right, <laughs> right. And so... Like, there are limits, I think, because of the way baseball has become regionalized. And it's been great for these rsn's because the the regional sports networks because it's a ton of programming right like back in the day when i first started in in radio that had major league teams like it was the one thing that made money on the radio and it's because it was every single day what's tough to create that or do that over the course of six months nationally and have everybody follow it so yeah i think there are there are definitely ways that they have to market the stars better I don't. I'm not smart enough to know how to go about that. I should ask my wife. She's a marketing executive. She's probably got some better ideas than I do.
0: Go ahead, McNuggets. You got a question for Mike? I do, Mike. So as Bull had told us throughout this whole week, you know more about baseball on a national level than than anyone he knows. And Bull knows. Yeah, baseball, he's full so of it. If, if he gives you I'm that not... endorsement, then I have to ask you this: We look sure. at Jose here in Cleveland as yeah. almost a savior for taking 150, 200 million less than some of the other top third basemen in baseball. Based on his contract, could you make the argument that Jose might actually be the single most valuable player in the entire league?
3: Um. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I hear what you're saying in that. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to tie it to dollars, sure. I mean, you're talking about you know one of probably the 10 to 15 best players in the game. Um. And I know. Listen. Like. Like. It's been really hard to get guys to. Um, to stay in Cleveland, right? And so like the thing that was most important, it seems like for, for Jose was to stay put, right? So Jose's there, you're gonna have him for the next you know several years as as one of the stars of that team. Um, you know, like if you're gonna compare it to other free agent contracts or potential free agent contracts, yeah, he left a lot of money on the table. It was a pre-free agent deal, so you're probably gonna sign for less money anyway when you do that than if you hit the market. So. I guess you could say that, but I don't. I don't know that you need to look at it as the dollar value. I think we spend too much time looking at the dollar value on players and all that. Like, if there's any indication of what teams can actually spend, you should look at the San Diego Padres. And so, anytime we talk about an over a, a player that is exceeding value um, based on the contract that they've signed, it's really another win for the owners. And yeah. so, I, I think looking at it that way. I think we're starting to evolve in some of that and looking at, you know, where that those numbers come from or or what those numbers should be for players. Listen, Jose took what he was going to be comfortable with and what's great for his family. I'm happy for him. It's a second generation contract. He'd already been on one extension with, with the guardians. Like I'm excited for guardians fans that they have this superstar player to continue to build around. who's probably going to retire in a guardians uniform and um, you know, like, I don't want to get too far ahead of it, but his numbers are gonna look pretty good against third baseman historically when he retires. Like he's a potential Hall of Famer. He really is. I mean, he's been in the mix for MVP, what, all but two years in the last six? Mm-hmm. So I think I think it's great to have that, but I wouldn't put the dollar value behind it. I would just say that like you have one of the superstars who is committed to Guardians fans and has a chance to to, you know, on a pretty good team, finally break that World Series draft.
1: And I, I love, I agree with you, Mike, 100%, because I hate when fans and fellow media members give passes to owners for not spending money. I hate that. And I rip the Dolans for not spending money. The one thing I will credit the Dolans for is they hire good people, and outside of the budget having a, a limit, they let them yeah. do their job. They stay, Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff, you know, it's not like our football owner here, Jimmy Haslam, is a meddler. He gets involved in day to day. He's a pain in the ass. Dolan doesn't do any of that. And because of that, you know, even with the with the the force of a low penalty, it's amazing how good a front office this team has. We look at I look at them in Tampa Bay as the models for all major league baseball. Do
3: you look at those two franchises as the models as well? I mean if you think about it like what's the like like when I was growing up like we were already established I'm a child in a channel of the 80s right which means I'm an old but like the the the, the Indians sucked like oh. for most of my life right yes. until you get to the 90s and since then what have they had maybe two three 90 lost seasons in 30 years right yeah. like I mean, I I think it's a testament to the front office they have. I agree with you. And I I love Chris Antonet and I love Mike Chernoff. I think they do a tremendous job. And you're right, it's budget that is what's limited them. You know, even this winter where they clearly were not being given the resources that they needed to to take that team to the next level, they made pretty smart plays with Josh Bell and Mike Zanino, and they're fortunate that they've developed this unbelievable pitching program, which should be it really is the envy of every team in baseball. So um I think they're in a lot of respects a model franchise. I mean, I think if to be a model franchise you need an owner that's committed financially as well, I think. So that's kind of what pulls them back. But from the way they, they work as a front office, I think absolutely it's clear. And I, and I do think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with David Blitzer involved in the ownership group now yeah. and how that evolves over the next three, four, five years. Is there a bigger investment into payroll? Is there a bigger push? Does he have a little Peter Seidler in him who's the the, the managing partner of the Padres? Do they start to, to push more towards the middle of the pack even in payroll when they have a chance? Because they've done that before. Yep starting to get to that point with this young group, right? You're going to need to augment it with some significant free agents outside to get over the top. And that's whether it's this year or next year, that that has to start happening for this team.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I mean, like one guy, Ahmed Rosario is going to be a free agent at the end of the year. And I know we know they have Gabriel Arias and they have Rocchio and they have all these great prospects. But Ahmed Rosario is one of the most important guys in this locker room. Like I already know he's good. And I don't have to pay him crazy money because he doesn't hit for power, so he's not getting insane money. But the Guardians have there's no excuse to me. They should be able to re-sign Ahmed Rosario. And I, but like if I had to bet right now, I bet that they don't. Now you're not going to trade him probably because you're going to be a contender. But it's a shame. Like he's a guy. He's not getting 30 million a year. Like no. I don't know what he's going to get exactly, but like they should be able to to pay Ahmed Rosario. I think. What do, What do you
3: think? Yeah, I mean I think I think they should. I, yeah. I mean, I think because of some of what you've talked about though, like their their depth is in pitching and players up the middle, right? Yeah. So does it make more sense to you know, I, I mean I was a little bit surprised to be honest that they didn't trade Rosario this winter. I think that's yes. probably a testament to his role in the clubhouse as much as anything. Um, But I think they're, you know, like I like Rosario a lot, but I think you can upgrade one of those up the middle positions if you want, either internally or externally. And that's why I'm not convinced Rosario stays there. Not to mention, I think Jimenez can play short. I mean, even through the, what, 10 years ago, 15 years ago with Dribble Cabrera, right? Like Cabrera was... Turned out to be a terrific defensive shortstop for a number of years after breaking in as a second baseman. And I think Jimenez is kind of cut from the same cloth in that regard. But, um, you know, you're right. He's not going to be super expensive. I mean, he's probably, I I mean, I would guess Rosario is surprisingly young, right? Like for a guy who's been on the scene for as long as he has. So, you know, like 5 and 75 is a pretty modest commitment for a free agent. It's just that. You know what's the biggest deal in franchise history for uh, for Encarnacion. An extra- the agent and Carnacion, right? Yeah. Three and sixty. So yeah,
1: it's mm. funny that you say five and seventy-five because I literally said yesterday, look at the Andrew Benatendi contract. That's yeah. what you pay Ahmed Rosari, which I think was five for seventy-five or something like that. Maybe it was eighty. I yeah. don't know exactly, but yeah. somewhere in that in that neck of the woods. In terms, you, you mentioned uh, you know it's funny because they added Bell, they added Zanino. I think the lineup's pretty good. I I, I look at this team and I'm like, I know they got all this good young pitching. I'd love them to get at the trade deadline, assuming they're leading the division or something like that. I'd love them to trade some of their prospect depth to get a veteran because I don't trust Savali and I don't trust Plesak and I want Quantrill to be my four in the playoffs. I love McKenzie. I love Bieber. I want them to go get a veteran third starter for the postseason. Uh, do you see that as something they could use
3: and might do? Or no, I think they need to upgrade their offense in the postseason. I mean, I think I, Gavin Williams is coming quickly, and Gavin okay. Williams is better than Diwali and Plesak, I think. I mean, yeah. I, Gavin Williams is a monster. I think he's got a chance to be – an impactful starter on nice. the level of what McKenzie is um, wow. and that's going back to college like there was a there was a really famous super regional game when he was at ecu where he went toe-to-toe with with kumar rocker and william's stuff is exceptional i would not be surprised if he's up towards the end of the year i don't that's know that i would look cool. at their rotation as being a key for the postseason I have bigger questions about their offense. I mean, what they did last year was a pretty neat trick, right? They singled their way to the postseason. I don't know that you can do that consistently. They don't walk very much. They really don't have any impact power. I think they have a big hole in right field. I'm not convinced that Oscar Gonzalez, based on his approach, is going to be an everyday player. So I think – Targeting a bat at the deadline makes all the sense in the world. I, I, you know, like I was actually a little surprised that they weren't in heavier on Juan Soto a year ago because he was such a fit for so much what they needed. And to your point, they have a terrific farm system yep. that they could have dealt from. Now, obviously, the Padres paid an extreme premium for that, but if you're looking at at outfielders mm-hmm. who could be available at the deadline, like the 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 Guardians could meet the asking price for brian reynolds if the pirates decide to trade him and i don't know if they're necessarily him. going to he'd be a tremendous yes. fit as a switch hitter who gets on base has a little bit of power very good in a corner like that guy is a great fit they have the, the ben Sherrington, who's the general manager of the pirates got his start in the cleveland organization they have a lot of history with him like that's the kind of guy that i think they could target if pittsburgh moves him and they even with like the injury to Espino and the idea that Williams is untouchable, like th- there are a number of players there that would be of interest. I think like I would not be opposed to using like a George Valera to try and start a deal or, or Valera and Rakio. Um, I think Pittsburgh needs some some um, position player help as much as they need you know pitching help you know angel martinez was really good in the fall league like that's another guy that i think the guardians could could potentially move because they have so much depth up the middle so there's a number of pieces that they could move to be able to get somebody like that and still keep a significant amount of depth it's just a matter of if and when they pull the trigger on something like that
2: you know you know mike let me just as you really quickly before we, we let you go great stuff and Bull is so happy that you mentioned this guy because he's been lobbying for Reynolds <laughs> for <laughs> oh, the last, last seven, he's such a, while. a good seven, fit. Seven <laughs> <times>. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah.
2: Uh, I, I'm. You know, when I grew up, my favorite sport was base. I started playing baseball when I was six. played Played six played all year through high school, and the glory days. You mentioned the '80s and, and the, you know those days where you, you had Frank Thomases and the Griffies and. And the palmeros and and all all the big time names that we we were comfortable talking with we look back at the heyday the one thing that i always look at that and and say is the reason that was so special is because fringe people like home runs fringe fans don't really care about singles or doubles they don't (laughs) they don't even like strikeouts they want to see five or six seven guys hit 50 home runs and then we're like wow let me root (laughs) for my guy because i want to see him win the title now, right. for me, you can't just hand people steroids anymore. You can't just <laughs> turn the other way and look the other way. That's not going to work. Now, what are some ways that the MLB can can increase home run, maybe lower the mound? I don't know. Messing with the strike zone a little bit. The, do you think that they would ever do something in the way that the mm. NBA did it in saying, all right, you can't touch Michael Jordan anymore because people want to see him score or in the NFL saying you can't touch a yeah. quarterback Because quarterbacks throw the ball, and that's what people, that sells people. Franchise quarterbacks came out of the necessity to say, there's a person that is really good. Here he goes. Point to him right there. Baseball with 50 home runs, I automatically know who good. I I just can see it do you think they'll ever do anything to try to increase home runs without the out steroids? It's,
3: it's funny because what they've done the last couple of years is tried to alter the, the baseball so that they could reduce the number of home runs because 17, 18, 19, in particular, I think even going back to 2016, we saw some of the highest non-steroid era home run rates in baseball history. And the ball was a little um, juicy, let's say. So <laughs> what they've done is they've tried to get a little bit. So like, Here's some of the things that we've learned about the baseball. Some of this we already knew, right? They make the baseballs in Costa Rica. They're all handmade, which is pretty incredible. Like, that, you think yeah, about that. that There's crazy. not a machine that puts them out. And as a result, there's a wide variation in what's acceptable for a baseball that makes its way into a major league game. And what was happening is something had changed in the, the process that had made the core tighter, and so they were acting more like titleists. And so you were seeing um you're seeing the ball fly the other way and and you're just not seeing that to the same level over the course of the 21 and certainly the 22 season so it's a really tricky line because they want to keep the integrity of the game together and the league is super sensitive to the fact that the baseball has been altered seemingly every year and nobody really knows what the ball is going to be like from season to season um so they 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 don't like that either. They've tried to tighten up the parameters on what makes a legal baseball, and they're doing what they can for that. But I also, I agree with you. Like, I think one of the things, college baseball, I'm a big college baseball guy, right? I do college baseball games. I host a college baseball show. Um, college baseball has seen home run rates that we haven't seen since um the nitro bat era back when they had the dro- the well boom, remember this the drop fives right like Ooh. the ones that were, like, you had the 34 bat that was like 28 ounces Ooh, right man. the drop six and like and, and like the barrels were like the size of my forearms right so, <laughs> <laughs> so like, those big red bats so like, Seeing that in in college baseball right now, and one of the things that it has brought is the threat of the late home run is a big deal for fans because you want to be able to see your team have a chance if they're down three in the eighth. Mm -hmm. You don't want to think that it's out of the realm of possibility that anyone in your lineup can get the game even. So I think that's... I think it's a reasonable point. I think it's a—it's actually a really good one. I think it's one of the things that the league is kind of fighting against. That I don't know that they need to be fighting against because fans like dingers, right? Pitchers don't like dingers. Maybe they have too yeah. many pitchers that are on the consulting uh, side, <laughs> but man, like home runs are exciting and home runs win ball games.
1: Yeah. Mike, last thing, real quick—we've got 15 seconds. I have the third pick in my fantasy baseball draft. Do I take Jose Ramirez or Trey Turner? I have no idea. I don't Come know. on, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> hey, ah, shut that
2: down. He we was yeah. trying to get a freebie, Mike. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. He we was trying to get a freebie. No, no, no. <laughs>
1: I mean, I'm Mike.
3: happy to give free <laughs> advice, but just not on fantasy baseball. That <laughs> is way
1: outside of line. Thanks,
0: Mike. Great job, man. See you guys. Line. Take care. got yeah. yeah. Thanks, Mike. We're gonna go from one baseball guest to another, but first we need to remind you guys that Callie gracing is the official NASCAR yes, team is. of Northeast Ohio. And this week, Callie Gracing and the rest of the NASCAR world invades Phoenix Raceway. On Saturday, March 11th, Kyle Bush, Daniel Hemrick, and Chandler Smith battle amongst the field in the United Rentals 200. Then on Sunday, A.J. Allmendinger and Justin Haley battle it out in the United Rentals work United 500. Two Uniteds in one race name. That's interesting. And that's your Colleague Racing Report for the week. Go, go. Uh, A.J. Allmendinger, Justin Haley, Kyle Bush, Daniel Hemrick, and Chandler Smith all going to represent Colleague. <laughs> Very well this weekend in Phoenix. All
1: right, great stuff from Mike. Who uh, he he thinks the Guardians do not need a pitcher. He thinks Gavin Williams is who's one of their top pitching prospects is going to burst on the scene later in the season. Do we have Jay with us?
2: We do have Jay. He also said, give give major league baseball players those nice bags. Look at Jay. The metal
5: joints, we ready to go. <laughs> what's up,
2: Jay? All I want to know. Would-
5: Listen, I wish they were using those metal bats. I really, I really, I was at Philly's camp one year, and Jim Tomey thought he would grab a metal bat just to see what he could do with it. And their training facility was on uh, US 19 in Clearwater, and it's about a six or seven, eight-lane highway on the backside of the facility. And he hit a ball out of the ballpark and over all lanes of traffic on US 19. And I realized, so that's why they don't use metal bats in, in Major League Baseball. Yeah. I'm <laughs> Jay, what's up, man? I ain't my phone ain't ring. What's going on? You know, I you're on their radar. I I, I don't want to <laughs> make you think that they, they know who you are. They know who you are. They know where you are. Yeah. I would I would keep your ringer on, because you never know. <laughs> hey, did you tell them that you would, we would give them a show? So this is what I told them. Okay. Your hips are a little tight. Will you stop that. Well. Stop, you, you know, stop,
2: stop putting that false narrative out
1: there. Hey Jay, did you
5: I don't know if you heard did you hear the interview with Mike Barron at all? Did you hear what he had to say? Any of it? Just the tail end of it, but I heard what, I heard you recap him and say that uh, you know, he doesn't think the Guardians need to go out and, and get a starting pitcher. And I've gotta tell you, Bull, I I, I think that, I, I tend to agree with that. Williams is a name I'm hearing a lot about. He was going to be No, listen, and with very good reason. There yeah. is a lot of excitement in this organization. We we always have that next guy in the pipeline. Here's the thing: even with the back end of the rotation struggling last year, everybody's been quick to point out that all of those guys were dealing with some form of injury or another. And they look healthy. I just watched Pleasak throw a bullpen. And I know it's just a bullpen, but I also watched him pitch a couple of innings. He pitched four innings against Mexico on Wednesday. And, you know, they've got that WBC roster has a lot of really nice major league talent on it. He threw four innings, one hit ball. More importantly, I thought he had great command of all of his stuff. He looks like Plisac from a couple of years ago. So I, I don't know that anybody in the organization is quick to think about going out to get that starting pitching help because they love what they have in the pipeline and Williams is the name I hear a lot about and also Bybee. so if they can get and they're going to get chances you know I just talked yeah. to Chris Dan and Eddie, Chris Antonetti and he said look you know during the course of the season you know how it goes guys get hurt opportunity comes available and it's what guys do with that opportunity last year we saw everybody that had that opportunity really capitalized on it so I look if we need one at the at the at the trade deadline They've got enough pieces here that they can work something and tr- try to go out and get another arm. But right now, I think think they're in pretty good shape, Will. Yeah, he, he flipped. He says, I don't think they need a pitcher. He says, I still think they need
1: one more bat. Yeah. He doesn't have a lot of faith in Oscar Gonzalez. Mm. He, he said that he... He mentioned my guy Brian Reynolds. He was. Yeah, I know you love him. He said I think they should go. He says at the deadline, I think he, they should go out and get Brian Reynolds. So we'll see. So we'll see what happens. But
5: yeah, I will say this, and I don't want to make too much of it, but uh, I just watched Oscar Gonzalez finish batting practice. So we're here at the ballpark in Goodyear, and we're at the. We're, they're just taking BP right now. They're all going to get on a bus and head to Phoenix. They have the uh, the Brewers in a one o'clock start. Over there, uh, it'd be 3 o'clock for you guys. But I just watched Gonzo hit, take BP, and um, he lo- I don't know how, but to me, he looks a little bigger. It looks like his upper body has perhaps developed a little bit from season to season. And one of the things that when he would step out of the cage that he was working on was his launch angle. He was really working on his lead hand, making sure that he's keeping his angle in line. And for what it's worth, I know it's batting practice. You don't want to make too much of it, but he was lofting balls out of here like it was nothing, I mean, with very yeah. little effort. And that's the one thing that I think everybody thought that they were going to see more of last year from Gonzalez was a little more power. I think he looks like he's built to hit a little bit more for power this year. And all the guys that I've talked to say that he's done his work, he's ready to go. And we've talked a lot on this show about the fear of that second-year slump, but I don't I don't know that they're nearly as worried about a bull as you and I are because right. I think Good. all off season. They were working on how to avoid that.
2: Well, you know, we heard about Gonzalez, but what about this new power? You know, power from um, straw. What about that? No, 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 no power.
5: Uh. (laughs) Look, I gotta tell you. I gotta tell you. um, He he is uh, he is one of the elixirs in the clubhouse, guys. Everybody loves Miles Straw. He's funny. He's he's a stone breaker. He's so he's kind of that guy. You remember the, the the little tip that they had with the fans at Yankee Stadium last year? Oh, he said, yeah, yeah. "Don't back down, guy." <laughs> and you know, I know, Bull, you were really hard on him last year. I love him for his defense and for his speed. Um, the good thing about the season ending is that you get to hit the reset button. I'm not saying he's going to hit 280, but he's not going to hit 200 either. So I think somewhere in between, it, they think they'd be happy with 240, 250. The same defense in the in in the outfield and run the bases like he has, and I think everything's gonna be okay. Well, out, well, th- their outfield looks great. Well, Jay, listen, he
2: he won a gold glove. If you can get him to 265, come on now. Oh. 265 and some stolen bases with the D, I'll take that. Oh. Especially because he's well, the worst that- guy oh. in the lineup. Now. Not Super this, ball. You know, last year he yeah. was like seventh guy in the lineup.
1: Now he's the He's the last guy, so I can live with a guy with no power and a mediocre batting average if I'm getting that great speed and great defense. But, Jay, you spoke with Terry Francona yesterday.
5: Tell us about that, I know you got some clips to play. I did, and before we hear the first clip, I want to set it up this way. For anybody that's followed Terry through his career, you know the last three years, 20, 21, and 22, have been a real grind for him. He's had one sort of ailment after another. We know about the feet. We know about the stomach issues he had. He had the hip. He went in, and as soon as the offseason was over, a couple of weeks later, he had a procedure done in Cleveland. He he told me that he feels as good as he's felt in years. And I know people don't think, well, how, how much of a grind can it be to manage a big league team? Tito's in the office first thing in the morning. And, you know, it, he's there. He's there all day. And it is a grind. I know it's it, it, people may not think that, but it physically can be a grind, and it can be very demanding, particularly with the travel. But one of the things we started our conversation about, and that'll be the first clip that we get to, Mike, is his health, how he feels, and how he feels he's positioned to get through the full 162 this year without having to miss any games for any illnesses or any surgeries or anything like that. Mike, you can Steve, you can roll it. Really You look well. You look How about I, I?
6: I told people, I look less worse than usual. How's that?
5: <laughs> um, I don't want to say that because that's to no, imply that you looked horrible before. I,
6: I but did. As, I did. As
5: you juxtapose, it's just you're wearing health very well. I, these I,
6: days. I I feel healthier. I needed to be. It was getting in the way. I mean, I, some of it I couldn't help. Right. You know, it's hard. You know, you're on crutches or you know you can't do anything. Yeah, you know, I was gaining weight. It. I, I everything was hard. You know. Sure. You know. I, go down to the field for batting practice and i have to give myself a pep talk. You know, that's that's a hard way to do stuff, so I do feel a lot better this spring.
5: Because of that, do you you feel energized in the role? Not to say that you, you know, maybe you didn't feel up to it before, but... No,
6: no, I I do, and I didn't. I was leaning on the coaches way too much, Mm -hmm. and they're really good at what they do, but it's not fair. I need to pull my end of it, and I feel like I'm able to now, which I'm appreciative of, because this, this job, even on good days, can get kind of hard, but you want to be able to enjoy some of the, you know, like I said, when we lose, I get mad, but that doesn't mean you don't enjoy the day. And, you know, it's just hard when you can't move around very well.
5: Yeah. How long did it sort of take to decompress and process the season after the Yankee series? And what did you, like, as you looked back, and had some time to think about it. What were your thoughts? Yeah,
6: um, I stayed in Cleveland for about three weeks because so I had to have a procedure done, and so that, that helped. Um, I was really proud of what we did. You know, obviously, Anytime you're not the last team standing, there's gonna be disappointment. But I think if you look at it logically, and it's really hard to look at it logically when you're playing, mm-hmm. but when you're done and you look at it logically, We did okay. As long as it was a step in the right direction and not a feel good story one year and, you know, and that's what I told our guys about 10 minutes after the game in New York, is that this has to be a jumping off point, not just a feel good story and move on.
5: Yeah, that's the thing with baseball, whether it's at bat to at bat, game to game, season to season. Now, as you assess what you did last year and you start to look at what's in front of you, Last year becomes a memory real quick.
6: It has to, whether you did good or bad. You try to learn from whatever you did last year. We try to learn what we did yesterday. That's one of our obligations. But you move on. Even if you have a lot of the same guys, which we do, it'll be a different team. You watch, it'll be a different bullpen. Um, And we're going to form a new identity. We don't know what that is yet. That's what we're here working on. But we'll forge one, and hopefully it's one that has a lot of the same characteristics of last year because I like that way the way we play the game.
5: Guys, he looks good, doesn't he? I mean, he, he looks does. refreshed.
2: Absolutely he does.
6: Yeah, he looks um, like Jock.
1: Go, go ahead, Bull. No, I was just gonna say, yeah, it's good because, as you mentioned. He's just been through so much physically, and we know how important it is to the team. It's a man He's so self-deprecating for such an accomplished guy. Like, oh, I put too much on the coaches.
5: I do this, I do that.
0: It's amazing. You don't usually find people that
5: successful that are that self-deprecating. You know, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, but that's part of the charm of Tito. Uh, you know, we, he was manager of the year last year. Third time he's won the AL manager of the year. You look where he ranks right now in baseball amongst active managers. And granted, he's been doing it 22 years. He should be up there. But he's second only behind Dusty Baker. So it really sort of lets you know you know how accomplished he is. And you're right. He's he's the first one that will take a shot at himself, um, which is, is certainly an endearing uh, characteristic. The outfielders just finished BP. Now the infielders are in. And guys, one thing I want to really try to stress, Josh Bell is a large human being i mean uh-huh. he, he comes across he comes across large on tv uh, i was talking about it with uh, with chris antonetti earlier he said when he's walking down the hallway you can't see on either side of him he's just a broad tall big massive human being mm. who told me yesterday one of the things that he's going to really focus on this year bull i actually mentioned your comment to josh about how nice. yeah he's had, had 37 home runs in a season but I, I told him one of my coworkers believes you have another level that you can hit And he said he absolutely believes he does. He's working on a a more level plane to his swing, not trying to launch, not trying to lift fly balls. He says, if I'm at my best when I'm hitting the ball hard and straight, home runs will happen. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if he has a very big year. And everybody is thrilled to have him here, because obviously, Hosey's going to see better pitches. And it's just going to make it's going to extend the lineup. It's going to make everybody in the lineup that much better.
1: Jay, before we get to the second clip, who you spoke to him. Who else did you speak to besides
5: Tito and Bell? Uh, we talked to about 15 guys. Oh, so wow. we talked, yeah, we talked to everybody. Um, all of the main players we've spoken to. We're gonna get Shane Bieber when we're done here. We're going back to get Shane Bieber. We're also gonna get Mike Zanino. We talked with I, I think the most impressive of all the guys, without question, is Tristan McKenzie. Mm. Um, guys his upside and they talked a little bit about him developing that third pitch to go along with that electric fastball and that crazy movement to his curveball he doesn't seem too concerned about adding that third pitch he has the slider he likes the slider he's it's not necessarily one of his plus pitches but it he can throw that pitch um, doesn't seem too concerned about adding a change although carl willis told me yesterday that you know that is something that long term they're definitely going to work on because that he can go from the front of the rotation kind of guy to a Cy Young kind of guy with that third pitch. Yeah. So I do think that down the road, he's definitely going to want to develop that. Um, Miles Straw, we spoke with Stephen Kwan, who by the way is in a very good place mentally. In fact, that'll get me to my second clip. Yeah. We've talked about it at length on the show. How do these guys, these kids that had crazy success last year, look what Gonzo did in the playoffs, particularly the big hits he had in that Rays series the walk-off home run to win the series. And Steven Kwan started red hot, hit a real rough patch in May and June, and a lot of folks thought he was gonna have to go down to the minors to try to figure it out. But Tito told me, and you'll hear it in this clip, he's so mentally strong, he was able to make the adjustments to the adjustments, not only stay up, but continue to have a fantastic season, get a lot of votes in the rookie of the year award, and really become a fixture now for the Guardians in the outfield. So here's Tito now on all the things that were done in the offseason to make sure these second-year guys don't hit a rough patch. The baseball rulebook says if you have 17 guys making their big league debuts, it's a hundred-loss season. I've been in
6: clubhouses when the season's over and somebody says, hey, what did you think of the year? Uh, we were too young. We were just too young. Sure. Can't say that. They, I mean, you,
5: you were young, but, but not too
6: but, young. But they they competed, they never backed down from a challenge. All things we talk about, but that's way easier said than done when you're talking about kids that are trying to, shoot, they're trying to find their footing, you know, in our league. But they always paid attention to the scoreboard. And, you know, that's, sometimes that's, like I said, it's easier said than done when you're thinking in the back of your head, oh, I got to get a hit or I'm going to go to A. You know, when Hosey doesn't get hits, he's mad maybe, but he knows he's coming back and, you know, and these other guys, like Jimenez, was growing into where he knew he didn't have to go two for four, or he's going to sit the next night. So the, they were—you could see their confidence growing. I mean, I remember Quan in May; he was worried he was going to get sent down. We never thought about it. I wish I'd have known. I'd have said something to
5: him. He didn't play like—I mean, he did—he had the slump. But what was fun to watch about him last year is it almost like he went through his sophomore slump in the middle of the season. So you are you less worried about him having that sophomore slump? because he made the adjustments that the league had made to him
6: i mean all players go through tough periods and you never know when it's going to happen i mean i worry about all of them in april in cleveland because it's cold it can be pretty cruel so you worry about guys especially young guys but when they have a track record they have something to fall back on which which certainly helps um I, I think guys like Quan, I think he's strong enough mentally that if he does go through a tough time, he'll figure it out. Yeah. And he's good enough physically, he'll, he'll figure it out.
5: That's really the, the element. It's, it's up here.
6: Oh, it, I don't think people realize to be an everyday major league player, you have to be so tough mentally because you get beat on so much. And there's so much frustration. And to be really good, it, I have a lot of respect for guys that can do that.
5: The, the two glaring pieces that needed to be addressed were and it's almost like Chris magically goes out and fi- I mean it was obvious where the weaknesses were but talk about how you've got your core back and then they're very young and then you got considerably better at first base and the catch position and it looks like the, the strings that needed to be pulled were pulled
6: well that's the hope and, and we never claim to be the 27 yankees mm-hmm. but we do have guys in place that we want to see how good this group can get um you know getting josh bell is a switch hitter that can hit behind hosey especially against left-handers we we could get we we had some we had some difficulties last year you were thin yeah, yeah. and that's not a knock on anybody it's just we're a little thin and when hedgy was a free agent We we wanted to bring in somebody that cared first about the pitching and defense. And then hopefully, you know, when he when Zanino's healthy, he's hit 30 home runs. So that's really welcome. Also.
5: I know, uh, Bull, you're going to miss Hedgie for sure. (laughs) But I think we're going to love Zanino, too. I really do. I think we're going to. I know you're going to. Who are you going to pick on?
1: On, still got I don't struck. want to pick on anybody. I don't want there to be
5: anybody that's, that stinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's stink. But if they stink, you're going to make sure. Yeah. They... So yeah. well, let's wrap it up with our talk from Tito yesterday about the expectations for the 2023 season. Obviously, after the success from last year, <laughs> you got to continue taking step forward. As we roll the clip, I'll lead to it this way. I thought the most prophetic thing that he said last year, five minutes after the Yankees series ended, he went into the clubhouse and he said, guys, this is not the end. This cannot be the end this has to be the beginning. Roll it Steve. What is your overall expectations? I know that you probably don't talk about them out loud, but in your mind you have an idea of what this team either can do or what you expect them to do.
6: But you know what? The stuff that we talk about every day, the reason we talk about it is because we believe in it. Sure. It's not just coach talk or manager talk because you don't know where we're going to get challenged. You don't know if guys are going to get hurt, you know, if you lose three pitchers and if you start to make proclamations now and then all of a sudden you lose your whole pitching staff, that's probably not going to come true. Okay, well, your season doesn't end. You just keep competing. So that's why we keep them in small segments. Like, hey, let's show up today. Let's see how good we can do. And then Take enough time to learn from what we did and then move along.
5: Is that the key?
6: Yes. Yeah. I, that to me it is because you can get bogged down in like, okay, I'm, I'm over 20. We've all seen it. I've, I've lived it. You can all go up to the plate feeling real good about yourself, right. but, but when you're hitting good, you walk up there, you got a little swagger. The idea is to put the bat in the rear view mirror and. Talk yourself into having some swagger anyway, which is not the easiest thing to do.
5: Uh, What should fans expect to see when they show up at Progressive Field this year?
6: I think the idea is we tried last year to really set a tone for how we are going to play. And I was really proud of our guys for that. Now the idea is they have a year under their belt. So the game should start to slow down for them a little bit but it'll never slow down the way we play mm-hmm. it just makes it easier to hopefully make better decisions so that's the idea is to kind of take it to another level
5: yeah that's great the whole stuff. idea um one of the other things that i want to share with you guys uh, you remember we had will brennan on the show a couple of months ago and um, we also interviewed him yesterday or the day before i can't remember uh he just wanted me to pass on to you guys that he had a great time on our show nice. he loved everybody and he wants to be a regular guy for us so He's probably going to be a guy that we bring on throughout awesome. the course of the season. Good. He's got more time, probably. He's you know, clearly not going to be a starter, but he's probably going to – I hope he makes the roster. And, uh, you know, he's he's hoping that he can be a piece to what they're doing here. But he really enjoyed his time on, on the show. And uh, he says he definitely wants to come back. He wants to do it on a regular basis. So that's good news for us. That, that is great, Jay. Hey, man, that's that's
0: awesome my MVP pick for this year. Hey, that's what's, what's up, that man. Jay. Jay, I'll be, be nah, out nah, to nah, scout.
5: Nah, nah. get to the good stuff. Jay, what's the weather like over there? Oh. Uh, it's cloudy today, so that's that's no, uh, you know, no, no, a little no. bit of a bummer. But it's eighty degrees, so I'm not going to complain. I mean, it's not overly cloudy, <laughs> but the, the last two days there wasn't a cloud to be seen. Today there's there's clouds in the sky, but you know the sun the sun pops out. You get uh, periods of great sunshine. And I heard that you guys are getting like two snow. or three inches of snow back there. Freezing rain, snow. It's yeah, awful. you
4: give me the temperature. What's the temperature? Yeah.
5: Uh, it's going to be 80 today. <laughs> I might miss my flight tomorrow, okay? Yeah. I'm just saying. I, I, Stay I, I warm. might miss my flight. Uh, hey, have a
1: good trip back. We'll we'll see you on Monday. Keep getting. Thanks, keep guys. Working. See you Monday. Keep
5: working the room for me, Jay. <laughs> nah, I, I'm doing my own work, bro. <laughs> All
2: right,
1: this is Jay down in Arizona. He'll be hey, back in the studio on Monday.
2: Hey, t- listen, don't try it, Jay. Tracy's not having that. You, you're going to be no. right back up here with us. That's yes, right. But right I now,
0: we got to be right with Colin Grayson. <laughs> we do, and, and Jay is – our lead expert on college racing with earl and without them today it's on me so i'm just gonna remind you guys that college racing is the official nascar team of northeast ohio it's the only one you should be rooting for that's right and you guys can't see this but yeah. jay just threw back on his shades that he got roasted for yesterday nice. as soon as he got off camera so <laughs> shout out to jay for that i had no problem with his he
1: his felt he felt bad about it. so Mikey, earlier in the show we started the show first half hour Breaking down, <laughs> we all gave our perfect off seasons. Not a surprise right, the van, fans right, voted
0: for my upper o- For the record, they hated all of ours. They just thought yours was the best in the world. How would they hate mine? How would they hate mine? There was a lot of stuff saying we should never criticize Andrew Berry again. After what they saw, those fans show. are idiots. Let's ignore that. <laughs> let's, let's we, we try to
2: wean Bull off
0: that he nah. gets one a show. I want to know
2: one what, idiot. What was wrong with mine? Yeah, let's just don't listen. Actually, they, nah. yours, your Brad, they were Saudi Brad. Oh. Was so so it's yeah. I was, nobody here, wants Odell back thing. and listen.
1: back. Listen, <laughs> we no, got two two,
0: two ones that are half serious. And two that are very serious. All you want right, to start with the half serious or the serious first? Serious. I like half serious.
1: Go ahead. I'm with G. Let's go with the half
0: serious. Half serious first. Okay. This is from Planet C5. Yeah, all right. He's given $17 million to Woods. He didn't clarify what Woods. What Woods? Joseph? Joseph? I think he got Robert Woods, the receiver.
4: <laughs> okay, keep no. coming.
0: Uh, no, he's $13 not. Million to Javon Hargrave. That he's costing more than that. All right, Cobra. Cool, eight million more to Watson just to piss everyone off. <laughs> <laughs> and twelve million to Nick Chubb <coughs> because he's Nick effing Chubb, and I would never trade him. Hey, you know, right. listen, I like that one. That's terrible. I like go that go ahead, let's
2: go. Eight <laughs> million <laughs> to Watson just to piss people off. Who, who is?
0: Who is, else? Woods. <laughs> you got to be talking. About, you you got to be said, talking about Robert Woods. Woods.
1: Robert Woods isn't worth one million. No kidding. Seventeen. Go
0: ahead. Is there another Woods we're overlooking? Joseph. I don't know. Bring, okay. Not worth talking about any longer. The Let's second move on. one is from Rahul Ganesh. Okay. Of course it my is. perfect off-season is whatever <laughs> makes the Sean Watson it's great it's again. Still. If he is, we don't need much. Love this yeah, Love this play blowing by Bengals. He's put a gift, By the way. Bull's plan, hit it out the park. I wouldn't change much from his. Loved you guys from India. So that shout guy, out to that guy India. in India. Shout out to we India. We love
2: India. We love that guy. He's very smart. Uh, I hey, like listen, that guy. listen, shout out, man. we doing it big, man. We everywhere. Ain't nobody shout else out in Shout out to India. India, man. Nobody in India like we in India. Stop playing with us, bro. We got you we we are got India on lockdown
1: we'll play now. We're the
0: number one Cleveland sports show in India. Fact.
2: <laughs> Ultimate
1: Cleveland India
0: show. Let's go. <laughs> Boom. Can you talk cricket? Play
4: We're we'll playing cricket tomorrow.
1: We're going to we down.
0: Two serious ones. All right, let's get to them. Legit, this was a Will McEwen who okay. super chatted us. Ten dollars for the super chat here. Okay. okay. Will McEwen would trade two second round picks for Deron Payne, a third round pick. That's for already De'Andre a fail. Hopkins. They wouldn't do
1: that. Go Just ahead. Let, let
0: me finish the whole plan before we say. Yeah. Two second round picks for Deron Payne, a third round pick for DeAndre Hopkins, a third and a fourth for DeForest Buckner. He would sign Chauncey Gardner Johnson and Bobby Wagner and resign Potich. And he says, "You guys are crazy for Cooks. He's not worth more than Amari Cooper." It's irrelevant. Of course, he's not
1: worth, in theory, more. Well, we but we can't The sign market and trade. has changed a little bit. We
0: can't sign and trade
2: <laughs> CT tackles. So, like, yeah. he's a free agent, right? So, like, he can just sign somewhere. They wouldn't take two picks from him. They're not who? Who? Like, like you They just
0: franchise tag Payne. He's not moving.
2: Yeah, they're not trading him for
0: two. Oh yeah, oh if, if yeah. they we had had the franchise him. If they were to trade two time, second round yeah. picks, yeah. they wouldn't
1: have franchised him. make uh, yeah, so that yeah, doesn't yeah right, right, right. I'm not spending huge money on Chauncey. Forest Garden or whatever the hell his Chauncey name is. about much, much him? How much did he
2: say he was going to sign him for? Did he say? No, we didn't get that. And just
1: the fact that he said, I'm not giving up more than Cooper for Cooks shows he's, you know, at least three quarters ignoramus. So let's move on. <laughs> this <laughs> next one's very, this you, next you one's you very specific. Ignoramus. It's not my fault.
0: That's from Cole Blau. And he took Bulls approach. He, he's also going to cut Harrison Bryant, Jordan <laughs> Elliott, and Anthony suck. Schwartz. They suck. <laughs> then okay. he's trading Greg Newsome in 42. So okay. their second round pick to Detroit for number eighteen. No. He's then trading. Number I, nine. They might take that's yeah, not that's a crazy. Somebody said they, like, they like, might take no, no, that no, actually. No, 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 that's not
2: crazy <laughs> because because your, boy, <laughs> they, your boy is a uh, stone cold bust. What's his name? Jeff. Jeff Okuda. They did nothing. Yeah, uh, his shit was like this last year. Better this year. Go ahead. So
0: this is from Cole Blau. Yeah. So, his first trade was Newsom and 42 to Detroit for 18. All right, not okay. fair. His second trade was 98, so their third round pick, plus a twenty-twenty-four third third for Cook, so two thirds for Cooks. That so might yeah. work. That his works. third trade is Wyatt Teller to Washington for a second round pick. Not doing that. They, they, they ain't doing that. They don't do that. With those drafts, he's taking Jackson Smith and Jigba at 18, and Felix and Duque Uzoma, the guy you took ball yeah. at 47, which is the pick they got for Teller. How, how, how did they and get, how did he get to 18? And then he's signing. Wait, and then he's signing. Oni Yamada, Dalvin Tomlinson, Zadarius Smith, and Adrian Amos, and Eric Kendricks. Okay. He didn't give money, so that's a lot of players. But
1: they don't have the 40-something pick if they traded the second-round pick with G-New. No, he traded Teller to Washington
0: for a second round. Oh, round.
2: that's yeah, how he okay. got there.
0: It's not bad if you can get all Man,
2: off Fan questions in overtime. We'll
1: see
0: you there. I'm not sure they have the money for it, but I like the idea. See Monday. He free agency starts
6: Monday.